bringing you the latest in tax credit news. This is Tax Credit Tuesday with your host, Michael Novogratik. The legislative challenges have been significant. We very much need legislation. We got to produce housing. We're still in a very volatile industry. It's a challenging atmosphere for almost anyone. We can't get all these mixed signals and messages. If he doesn't have a bipartisan bill, nothing's going to happen. Alternative energy is still very expensive. Hello, I'm Michael Novogratik, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. Today is Tuesday, October 11th, 2016. I want to start with an apology for my voice. I was at the Giants-Cubs game last night, and it did go over five hours, and I was there cheering through the ups and downs of the game, and I'm looking forward to the game tonight. This week marks 50 years since Lyndon Johnson signed the National Historic Preservation Act of 1966. In many ways, the bill laid the foundation for historic preservation programs as we know them today. The bill created the National Register of Historic Places, the list of National Historic Landmarks, and State Historic Preservation Offices. The bill was also responsible for creating the Historic Preservation Fund, the Advisory Council on Historic Preservation, and the Section 106 process that requires the federal government to take into account the effects of its undertakings on historic and cultural resources. The provisions enacted through the National Historic Preservation Act of 1966 helped make the creation of the Historic Rehabilitation Tax Credit possible in 1978. That program alone has helped attract $106 billion in private investments, creating 2.3 million jobs, and saving nearly 40,000 historic structures. Turning now to podcast news, in our general section today, I'll discuss a recent report from the Federal Housing Finance Agency on how federal home loan banks have helped boost investments in low-income housing and community development. In our low-income housing tax credit section, I'll tell you about HUD's proposed energy benchmarking for assisted multifamily housing and public housing agencies. I'll also discuss a state law passed in California that allows local school districts to create housing programs for its employees using federal and state low-income housing tax credits. In New Markets Tax Credit News, I'll discuss how much New Markets Tax Credit Allocation Authority was finalized by allocatees in the past month. In our historic tax credit section, I'll talk about the National Trust for Historic Preservation's list of the 11 most endangered historic places and the role that historic tax credits could play in preserving those places. And I'll close out with renewable energy tax credit news, where I'll cover a report on how widely U.S. energy services companies use renewable energy tax credits. If you're ready, let's get started. In general news, the Federal Housing Finance Agency released a report this month that spelled good news for affordable housing and community development investments across the country. The report was an overview of Federal Home Loan Bank's activities in 2015 supporting low-income housing and community development. The report reveals a significant increase in funding for these activities as compared to the previous year. The Federal Home Loan Banks are involved in three programs related to low-income housing and community development. The Affordable Housing Program, the Community Investment Program, and the Community Investment Cash Advance Program. Under these programs, the banks provide loans or advances and grants to their members. The members, in turn, use the funds to benefit very low and low or moderate income households and communities. In 2015, the banks awarded about $322 million in affordable housing program funds. 
Those funds helped 36,000 low and moderate income households, including 20,000 very low income households. From 1990 to 2015, the banks have allocated approximately $4.8 billion to the affordable housing program, supporting more than 16,400 projects, more than 648,000 units, and 153,000 low-income homeowners. Each bank's statutory minimum affordable housing program contribution must equal 10% of its net earnings for the prior year, and collectively, the bank's minimum contribution is $100 million annually. The affordable housing program is familiar to those who work with low-income housing tax credits. Of the properties funded under the affordable housing program last year, 49%, nearly half, also received low-income housing tax credits. Federal home loan banks were similarly active in community development last year. In 2015, the federal home loan banks provided $3.2 billion in targeted housing and economic development loans through the Community Investment Program. That amount is 33% more than in 2014 and assisted nearly 39,000 units. Now under the Community Investment Cash Advance Program, the banks provided $4 billion for targeted economic development. That's about 48% more than in 2014. One thing to note is the increasing importance of subsidy programs in filling development budget gaps. Now this report is called 2015 Low-Income Housing and Community Development Activities of the Federal Home Loan Banks. You can find it at www.novaco.com. In affordable housing news, HUD last week published a Federal Register notice inviting comments on its proposed energy benchmarking for assisted multifamily housing and public housing agencies. While the two notices are similar, they're directed at different audiences. Because of that, they'll be implemented very differently. The multifamily notice applies to certain Section 202 and 811 contracts and Section 8 housing assistance payment contracts. Owners of properties falling under these multifamily housing programs would need to submit certain utility consumption metrics using the portfolio manager software. These submissions would be required when completing specified property transactions, such as triennial utility allowance baseline calculations, prior to the issuance of new FHA mortgage insurance, and or a capital needs assessment. Otherwise, the submissions would be required every third year. Handling these responsibilities will likely fall on the management agent. Now on the public housing side, the benchmarking notice would apply to public housing agencies that operate 250 or more public housing units under an annual contributions contract. My partner Rich Larson from our Tom's River, New Jersey office says that because PHAs tend to manage their own public housing stock, they'll surely want to hire a consultant to manage the process. Public housing agencies would be required to use the Energy Star Portfolio Manager Program to benchmark all properties at least every three years, beginning no later than 2018. My partner Susan Wilson from our Austin, Texas office notes that the proposed requirement would also apply to annual contributions contract units that are converted to project-based vouchers through the Rental Assistance Demonstration or RAD program. Submitting annual benchmarking data voluntarily is encouraged for both multifamily and PHA properties. Now, if you have any questions about how the proposed benchmarking could affect your properties, please contact one of my partners, namely Rich Larson in New Jersey or Susan Wilson in Austin. In state news, 
California Governor Jerry Brown recently signed a bill that allows local school districts to establish housing programs for teachers and other school employees, including the use of federal and state low-income housing tax credits. Under the legislation, low-income housing tax credits and other affordable housing programs can be used by school districts for the acquisition, construction, rehabilitation, and preservation of affordable rental housing for teachers and other school district personnel. The legislation came in response to areas where it's difficult for teachers and other district employees to find affordable housing. The bill's supporters highlighted the fact that enrollment in educator preparation programs had dropped by more than 70% over the past decade in California. The legislation also notes 8% of teachers leave their jobs annually. San Francisco is cited as an example. In the summer of 2015, the San Francisco School District needed to recruit, hire, and train 700 new teachers. Many of the teachers who left said that housing costs were the reason. Ed Lee, San Francisco's mayor, requested a statute to permit the development of teacher-only housing on school property, and this is the result. Now, if you're familiar with how long-closing test credits work, you know this legislation creates an unusual situation. As you know, the Treasury regulation covering use by the general public says that low-composing tax credit units cannot be provided by an employer for its employees. Section 42 clarifies this regulation by allowing occupancy restrictions for those in three groups. First, those with special needs. Second, those in specific groups included in a federal or state program that supports housing for them. And third, those involved in artistic or literary activities. My partner Jim Kroger in Walnut Creek, California, says the second exception appears to apply here. Jim says the fact that this is a bill that passed the state legislature and was signed by the governor indicates that California approved a policy supporting housing for school district employees. Jim says it's going to be interesting to see how this legislation holds up and whether other states will use similar legislation to build affordable housing for teachers. And I should note Mark Shelburne in our North Carolina office also notes there could be some fair housing issues at play. Now, as a reminder, this was just approved, and no school district in San Francisco or elsewhere has been approved for federal or state credits by California. We'll definitely keep an eye on it, though, and you can read the bill at www.taxcredithousing.com. It's Senate Bill 1413, the Teacher Housing Act of 2016. In New Markets Tax Credit news, while we all await the $7 billion next round of New Market Tax Credit awards, the CDFI Fund has released its updated monthly Qualified Equity Investment Issues Report, or QEI report. This report identifies the total dollar amount finalized by New Market Tax Credit allocatees and the amount that remains to be issued. The CDFI Fund said that more than $163 million in allocation authority was issued in the month of September. The total amount allocated since the beginning of the program has now reached nearly $42.4 billion. As of the report's date, October 4th, the amount of new market tax allocation authority still available is about $1.1 billion. And as we've noted in previous podcasts, that amount is likely already unofficially committed. If you would like to see the latest QEI report, go to www.newmarketscredits.com. Also, as a reminder, it's not too late to register for our upcoming New Market Tax Credit Fall Conference in New Orleans. The conference is October 20th and the 21st. You can register 
by going to www.newmarketscredits.com. In historic tax credit news, the National Trust for Historic Preservation recently announced its 2016 list of America's 11 most endangered historic places. The National Trust publishes this annual list of historic places that are in danger of being lost. Threats range from deterioration to insensitive development. The purpose of the list is to galvanize preservation efforts so our country's historic structures won't be lost. Since 1988, the Trust has identified 270 sites, the vast majority of which have been preserved. The 2016 list includes sites that span the country, from San Francisco's Embarcadero, to Tucson, Arizona's Sunshine Mile, to the Charleston Naval Hospital District in North Charleston, South Carolina, to the historic downtown of Flemington, New Jersey. Dozens of sites have been saved through the tireless work of the National Trust, its partners, and local preservationists across the country. Much of this preservation work wouldn't have been possible without the Federal Historic Tax Credit as well as the various state historic tax credits. These programs are excellent resources that developers can use to fill gaps in their capital stack. To learn more about the Federal Historic Tax Credit and your state's historic tax credit, go to www.historictaxcredits.com. In Renewable Energy Tax Credit news, a recent report from the Lawrence Berkeley National Laboratory shows that about half of U.S. energy service companies use tax credits during the period studied. The report is called U.S. Energy Service Company, ESCO, Industry Recent Market Trends. ESCOs are energy service companies for whom performance-based contracting is a core business offering. So that includes such things as energy savings projects, retrofitting, energy conservation, and power generation and energy supply. The report found that across all market sectors from 2012 through 2014, more than 50% of U.S. energy service companies in their report said they used tax benefits. That includes such things as the Removable Energy Investment Tax Credit, or ITC, or the Production Tax Credit, the PTC. The percentage of use was highest for state and local projects and for educational projects. The report also found that U.S. ESCOs saw revenues flatten from 2011 through 2014. That followed more than two decades of steady growth. However, the companies expect industry revenues to grow by about 13% per year over the next few years. The ESCO report is a reminder that renewable energy tax credits play a key role in all types of energy developments. Many of them would struggle to pencil out without the incentives. You can read the report at www.energytaxcredits.com. Again, it's called U.S. Energy Service Company Industry Recent Market Trends. Well, that brings me to the end of this week's report. Just a reminder, we have two Novogratz conferences coming up this month, and there is still time to register. The first one is next week. As I mentioned earlier, the Novogratz 2016 New Markets Tax Credit Fall Conference. It's being held October 20th and 21st in New Orleans. Then, the Novogratz 2016 Financing and Renewable Energy Tax Credit Fall Conference will be in Washington, D.C., October 27th and 28th. You can register for both conferences at www.novoco.com. I hope to see you there. That's it for now. I'm Michael Novogratz. Thanks for listening. This weekly podcast has been brought to you by Novogratz and Company, LLP. 
Archived discussions are available online at www.novaco.com forward slash podcast or by subscribing to the Tax Credit Tuesday podcast in iTunes. Novogratic and Company LLP is a national certified public accounting and consulting firm with offices nationwide. Learn more about our professional services at www.novaco.com.